You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh. Who needs rational when your toes curl up? And I'm Ari, and I never lie when I've got sand in my shoes. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Enemy and The Price. But first, uh, Sony does not understand memes, and <laughs> I think they just lost a couple million dollars this weekend. Uh, yeah, so they re-released Morbius, right? Yeah, and um, obviously this weekend is the weekend that we're recording this. This comes out like a week later, but... right. People have been making fun of Morbius this whole time, Sony. It's not because it's like a so bad it's good movie. It's a nobody saw this movie. Nobody asked for this movie. Nobody wants this movie. It's the Jeb Bush (laughs) meme all over again. (laughs) It sure is. (laughs) They literally put his head on Jeb in a meme. So I don't know why they would re-release this. No, when I heard that, I was like, what? Why would they do that? And then I remembered this week at school, because I work in a high school, I was walking through the hallway and I looked down and there's a piece of paper on the floor and I was like what is this so I pick <laughs> it up and I flip it over and some kid has printed off the Morbius poster and is apparently throwing them about the school because <laughs> later on in the day a kid told me oh my friend made a bunch of Morbius posters and printed them off on the school printers <laughs> no it's a meme it's obviously a meme like that doesn't mean give us more Morbius you know <laughs> so they made uh, 85 thousand on friday and i checked it up uh, we're recording on sunday and it looks like they have gotten about three hundred thousand from this weekend uh from a re-release in comparison uh everything everywhere all at once is in its 11th week of release and has already made two million this weekend yeah <laughs> see yeah see <laughs> and i heard the top gun maverick was doing pretty well too which I, is yeah i haven't paid attention because i i don't care. I never saw the original Top Gun. I've never seen it see either. It. Everybody says I need to. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'll probably end up seeing the Top Gun movie anyway because my husband wants to, you know, nostalgia and everything. Sure. But I have no interest in Morbius and them re-releasing it did not make me go, oh, I missed out on Mor- Morbius the first time. Maybe I can go see it now. <laughs> the funniest thing was like a couple weeks ago, there was a Twitch account that was just streaming Morbius like over and over on loop. And uh, it took about 12 hours for Twitch to shut them down. But like the funniest thing is that when it was shut down was like right when it got to the credits. So like the guy, the guy at Twitch was like, I'm going to finish this movie before I hit the ban button. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I was going to ask if you really think they thought they were going to make money off of it. So you think they saw that it was like trending because people were memeing about it and they were like, oh boy, another chance to earn money. You think that really was really what it was? I did see somebody uh, on Twitter suggest a possibility that there were some execs who were thinking that. And then the exec who made the decision to re-release it was the one who was like, no, you idiots. It's a meme. We're not going to make any money. Do not make a Morbius 2 off of this. Here, I'll show you. We're going to re-release it in theaters and nobody's going to see it. There. Now you don't have to spend $100 million on another flop. That is a good point because it is kind of a good litmus test to see yeah. if like people are actually interested in the movie or if it's just a bunch of memes, you know, because mm-hmm. look at Sonic the Hedgehog. We made so much fun of Sonic the Hedgehog because it looked terrible when it first re- released the trailer or whatever. We yeah. made a bunch of noise about it and then they fixed it. Everybody went, yay. And then a movie that I thought was going to be terrible ended up being a movie that made money and they ended up having a sequel. 
And I enjoyed both of those movies very much. Uh, I haven't their... seen the second one, but it was the first one was better than it had any right to be. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think I think the second one was better than the first because the second one didn't have as much of a focus on the human characters. It was just actually focusing on like Sonic and Tails and Knuckles. I'm like, yeah, oh, good. That's, that's what yeah. I want in a Sonic movie. Um, no, uh, Morbius is not a so bad it's good movie. This is not a the room situation. This is just a soulless corporate cash grab that has like oh they're Starring like oh, well, a very uninspired actor like i've never yeah. like i you, you we've talked about jared leto before but i've yeah. never really like thought he was an ace actor he was just a pretty boy that played in a lot of things and was in a band like it's not like he, you can even go like oh i just love jared leto so i'm gonna go see morbius nobody says that you know no. <laughs> um the favorite thing that i ever saw uh, with him in it was when he got his uh, face pounded into the cement by Edward Norton. So <laughs> he just needed to destroy something beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so if you enjoy the podcast, uh, consider uh, subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash rest of both worlds. You'll get our episodes up to five days early. You can uh, get access to a spot on our discord where you can suggest the small talks uh, for us before we begin. And uh, at the higher tier, you'll get your ep- your name right at the end of each episode. So uh, feel free if you're feeling so generous. I mean, unless you want to hear us keep talking about Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about The Enemy. It is the seventh episode of the third season. It aired on the 6th of November, 1989. It was written by David Kemper and Michael Piller. And directed by David Carson. And uh, did you ever see the movie Enemy Mine? Uh, oh, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, Dennis Quaid and uh, Lou Gossett Jr. On a planet, right? Because it's a Heinlein book, I think, right? Um, I don't... It might have been. Um, I just know that the uh, the story itself, it's just two enemy like uh, fighter pilots crash on a planet and they're forced to work together and learn each other's culture and stuff like that. And uh, this, this has a lot of vibes of that because in this one, Jordy is stranded on a planet with a uh, Romulan and they have that first, they're like trying to fight each other, but then they have to like work together to, to get to be rescued. And um, meanwhile, uh, the Enterprise is having to deal with a Romulan ship that wants to cross the neutral zone to come get the Romulans. And uh, they have another Romulan that they had like beamed up from the planet who's in sickbay. And the only person who can donate blood or whatever that the, the Romulan needs to survive is Worf, who won't do it. Right. And um, Worf's story there is pretty interesting because, like, you would expect him to be resistant for most of the episode, but then finally, like, agree to it. But no, he lets him die. He does. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. I've been, uh, there's notes in here about, like, okay, think of the person that you hate the most. Like, can you think of some somebody that you hate? Would you give your blood, even if it wouldn't hurt you in any way, to save that person? Mm-hmm. It's something that I thought about the whole episode, you know, like once it became an issue. And I wondered if it was because it was 89 and, you know, organ donation cards were, I mean, it was starting to become such a regular thing for everybody to put organ donation. And I know in my younger years, I was resistant to organ donation mm-hmm. um, because I got that from my mom, who would have been, you know, the age to be the target audience for this episode. Right. Right. Um, and she's resistant to it for religious reasons. But because when Jesus comes back, she doesn't want her organs flying out of other people. Not even kidding. Um, and um, so <laughs> the uh, that whole like debate I found very interesting. And I wondered if it had anything to do with organ donation. I don't know. Um, I haven't. 
I, I do know that their their rationale for making Worf uh, resist the whole time was that they wanted to show that Worf is not human. They wanted to show that as a Klingon, he has different moral sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they didn't like uh, Michael Dorn at first kind of was resistant to this storyline, but then he understood what they were going for. But they make sure that we all know that everybody feels he's wrong for doing it because he has to go through every single like higher officer trying to talk him into it. It felt like because he had Picard and Beverly, whose hair was magically longer. <laughs> um, talk, try to talk him into it. Like this isn't going to affect you in any way. And they gave him that line of like, "This is the lifeblood from my mother and father. Like, why would I give it to our sworn enemy that killed my mother and father?" Mm-hmm. You know. And Riker points out the uh, the, the racism, and he's like, "Did this Romulan do that? Do all Rom- Romulans do that? Is there ever going to be a point where you let go of the hatred?" And Worf's just like, "Sorry, dude." I hate Romulans. (laughs) So, yeah. So it made it so weird that he didn't flip by the end. Right. Like, because what was the lesson there then that people who hate people have a good reason because of their culture? Like, I was trying to figure out what the lesson there was. I don't (laughs) think it was. I don't necessarily know that it was a lesson. I think it was just showing the difference between Worf and the humans. Yeah. And also it's. Worf's hatred of Romulans is something that uh, continues to. Uh, be a part of his character for a very long time and Mm. so for him to like i I wouldn't expect him to uh in the span of an episode let go of it it's something that's going to take longer for him to deal with yeah that makes sense i mean they are it is the people who killed his parents you know and especially in klingon culture they hold on to those grudges you know (laughs) because we've seen them hold on to them in other episodes about other things you know um but I thought this was an interesting episode for the way that it opened. It had a very dramatic enter- opening. It wasn't mm-hmm. like the normal kind of en- opening where, you know, everyday life on the Starship Enterprise is happening. It started with, you know, the big storm on the KV planet and nobody can hear each other and they're all yelling over each other, you know, and it was very dramatic opening. And then um, I noticed, I was like, oh, it's the boy band. I was like, oh, no, it's not the boy band because Jordy's there <laughs> instead yep. of Data. And I was like, I wonder why Jordy's on the planet. And then he immediately falls into a hole. And I was like, oh, that's why Jordy's on the planet. <laughs> I thought that they did a very clever thing with, and I, I assume that this is why that they had uh, it be a Jordy episode is because the the electromagnetic uh, storms on the planet are like wreaking havoc with people's nervous systems, mm-hmm. and so even though Jordy's visor is fully working, the interface breaks down and he can't see anymore. And uh, so, like, he has to talk the Romulan through like connecting the visor to 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 the tricorder so that they can go and track like the uh, neutrino probe that they launched uh, but not to... before they have him do the blind man with the glasses routine <laughs> when he first falls down the cave oh, he always does that <laughs> but but also the romulan was injured because he had like a rocks fall on him and so he can mm-hmm. barely walk and so Jordy has to carry him but Jordy's blind so Jordy carries him while he has to tell Jordy where to go and it was just a great way of just showing, OK, each of them are injured in different ways and how they are having to rely on each other for help. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I loved the relationship building between them, because while they're up there trying to talk Worf into saving the dude with his blood, they're being lied to about more Romulans being on the planet because yeah. Picard's been asking the Romulan guy that has now come into the neutral zone 
Or uh, did they come all the way into Federation space? I think they, they eventually over. come all the way into Federation. Yeah. yeah. And I was surprised at that. I was so I figured this guy must be important. This it, well, the one that died. I figured, and then there was the second one on the planet, right? Because how are I mean, is getting that guy back worth coming over the border? I like. I thought he was going to end up maybe being someone important or something, because you would think they would just be like, oh well, he'll be tortured to death or whatever it is. Romulans hold dear, <laughs> you know. Well- so there's um, the fact that those two were already in Federation space to begin with. Like that's it, true. It, that's it, it was right. speculated that they were using this planet as like a, a a forward station for like you know an incursion into Federation space because like there's no other reason you'd set up on this planet. It's like inhospitable. But um, I think it's the Romulans did not want those people to fall into Federation hands because potentially they might get something out of them in interrogation. So they want to make sure that they can come, come back and get them so that they don't get that information. Um, Obviously the cover story is, Oh, they had a a navigation malfunction and accidentally drifted half a a light year into Federation territory or whatever, which Picard rejects. He even says, I reject your explanation. (laughs) Romulans. lie like we breathe uh, yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's, especially w- to the federation because they're their sworn enemy or whatever but um the uh idea of romulan secrets is is something that's uh very integral to their culture there's actually uh, in star trek picard they established that romulans have three names um mm-hmm. Because because basically even their names are secret. They have a public name and then they have a name that their family uses and then they have their true name, which is something that they only will tell to like their their loved one. Oh, interesting. Um, Okay. so, yeah, Romulans keep secrets. And so this whole mission is about them keeping secrets about what they're doing in Federation space. And the uh, the the sub commander of the um, uh, of the uh, Romulan ship Tomalock, we see him a couple times. Uh, he, oh, in the future? Yeah, he's a recurring character, and he's played by Andreas Katsoulis, uh, who uh, was also on Babylon 5. He okay. played uh, uh, Ambassador Jakar on that show, who's one of the best characters on the show, and he's a great actor. I've heard the name before, yeah. Um, I think he passed about 15 years ago from lung cancer. Mm. Um or emphases. I, I know he he was a smoker, so it was it was some smoking complication that he died from. Um, but uh, I I enjoy his performance. He comes back multiple times. I think he'll even show up as like uh, other characters in other shows as well. But I really like him. Yeah, I did. I liked him as I thought he was did a Romulan really well. I th- I really liked his character. Um, I did have a bunch of different like pop culture references while watching Jordy pop into my head while he was like climbing around the cave. For one, he played Minecraft and he looked he around and he, and he dug around and he found some gems and he turned them into some climbing sticks. And I was he like, did. good, that now go awesome. punch a tree. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I was pretty proud of him. At first I was like, is he making a shiv? I was like, what is he making? <laughs> well, they, I mean, they could have been, they could have been used as shivs, but no, he just made a couple of climbing spikes so he could get out of that hole he fell in. Exactly. Just like I do in my, well, I don't do that in Minecraft, but same thing, right? Like I thought, yeah. but it also got me thinking about the Hunger Games because I was thinking mm-hmm. about how when they hide in the cave at night her and Peta, and then i was wondering if the entire like main cast of tng had to play in the hunger games who would win and i think i don't know i i, I think Warf the guinan, 
<laughs> okay, Worf or Data is a good Worf is a good choice. Data yeah. would be so rational, right? Like he would, like, so he'd be able to be like, well, the statistics say if I pick this berry or whatever, right? Like he'd be able to use his brain to figure his way through it, and Worf would be able to like muscle his way through it. I don't know. Also, it's just something I kept thinking about. <laughs> keep in mind, it's called the Hunger Games, and Data doesn't need to eat. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, so that came up while I was watching it. So the Minecraft and the and the Hunger Games things. But yeah, you're right. I think it'd be, you know, I think it'd probably be Worf. Like, yeah. because he'd just survive because he's Worf. You know? <laughs> he'd survive. And if it and if he's told, you know, it's it, uh, only one can survive. Worf would be like the first to be like, yeah, OK, I'll kill you. It's going to be me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't really have to think about it. He would exhaust other options of getting out before he would resort to killing them. But like he would. But in the end, he would them. make yeah. sure that he was the one. Yeah, because it would. Yeah. Or, I know. or he would be happy to die in combat against somebody, you know, because that is a, True. a good Klingon way to go. But it wouldn't be an easy fight <laughs> and it wouldn't be something he'd throw. He would no. actually fight his hardest. And yeah. I think, I think if it was like him versus like Riker or Picard. They, they're like compassion as human beings would get too much of them, too much of them. And I think Worf would still end up winning. Plus he has the physical prowess, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Wesley was really smart this episode. And so we got to thank you, Wesley. Or <laughs> he's like, Wesley Crusher. Thank you, Wes, or whatever. Yeah, and I was like, I- yeah, thank you, Wesley. <laughs> Because Wesley came up with the idea of we send a probe down to the planet that emits a neutrino beam because Jordy will be able to see it. And uh, I I don't know how Jordy knew that it was Wesley specifically who thought up that, but uh, I, I guess nobody else knows how to use neutrinos on the Enterprise. <laughs> he probably just knew that Wesley was smart enough to think outside the box or whatever, because uh-huh. it's always Wesley that comes up with those. But yeah, that was a little cheesy that he was like, Wesley, all right, good job. You came through when there's hundreds of other people on that ship <laughs> and it is that good idea. thinking though because like he he tailored a solution specific to Jordy. right like, yeah if it had if it had been somebody else stranded on the planet they'd have to find some other way they'd probably have like i don't know it, they could have made some just visible beacon but if it had been a normal cold open where we open on the ship it would have been something like him and wesley sitting around talking about how oh look i can see the neutrino beams in that <laughs> petri dish there and then having it come in later uh-huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um i i also wonder too if the the reason that they're like well if we do the neutrino beam it might have been just something that specifically only Jordy could see it so that if there were other romulans there who might like see the probe and use it to like lay and wait in ambush for him they wouldn't be able to because they wouldn't be able to see the beam that's true that's true um so he decides to take the tactic with the romulan of annoying him to death i guess i don't know because he's (laughs) like shoes are getting full of sand don't you hate that i never lie when i got sand in my shoes like he's doing this real like familiarity like oh buddy we're here together let's just be friends kind of attitude and i was like okay this is annoying and then he got over it eventually he also lied and said that the uh, federation already intercepted the the signal and there's an entire fleet of starfleet ships oh that's uh, right he did yeah. Well, he just... knew he was talking to a Romulan, I guess. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I'll play their game. Yeah. Um, this episode also saw one of Deanna's worst stupid observations, which was there's great hostility behind his smile. <laughs> and I was like, yes, Deanna, we can all see that. Like, <laughs> Marina Sirtis was very unhappy with this episode because there was uh, in, in a draft version of the script, it was both her and Jordy that were down on the planet. And oh. um, so and, and then like 
once uh Jordy got blinded, it was her who like incapacitated the Romulan. Oh, interesting. So she was okay. like looking forward to doing some action on the show, and then and they instead just, she got to be Captain Obvious like usual. Yeah, yeah I'd be they annoyed just too. Stuck her on the bridge and had her say, "This hostile person is hostile." Right. Exactly. Look at that hostile person. They're hostile. Yeah. Oh, that was the other pop culture reference, though, was Gollum. <laughs> that was my other one that came up while I was watching it. I was like, oh, he's, he's digging around the cave. Maybe he'll find Gollum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know, the Hobbit. Um, I didn't hate this episode, though. I thought it was interesting. It's a really thought, good episode. I thought it was interesting to see the Romulans and how they actually work rather than like we've only seen them two or three times. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the show. And most of the time it's been like, oh, no, Romulans. Oh, no. Is it the Romulans? You know, and this time it was like, oh, hey, boy, it's uh, Romulans, you know. <laughs> So I liked being able to see that. Um, I, I noticed, too, when uh, Beverly is working on the uh, the Romulan, uh, she's like, well, I expected their physiology to be identical to Vulcan's, but there's a lot of subtle differences that I have to uh, make adjustments for. And right. um, I think Romulans left Vulcan about 2000 years ago. I don't know the exact timeline on that. Um a lot of that is just kind of established in like book lore, so it's not you know like established canon. Um, right. There could have been some episodes. Are the books in the not considered canon? No. Uh, okay. The only things that are canon are the TV shows and the movies. Okay. Because you know Star Wars keeps changing their mind on that stuff. So it, yeah, Star Wars. Well, with Star Wars canon, it was like everything was canon, and then Disney bought it and said, "Okay, only these things are canon, and anything that comes out after that is also canon." Yeah. Except for Lego Star Wars. Lego Star Wars is not canon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it's so weird. I mean, it was a pretty straightforward episode in general. Like, it was like, okay, they debated their way out. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, well, I mean, I consider it like Jordy. I mean, as much as his like shtick, I don't find interesting. Like the whole got seen in my shoes, you know, thing. I did think it was good that he built the relationship with the Romulan on the planet to the point where like he's like he's going blind because his visors stopped working because his eyes aren't working or whatever. The visor right. works, but his eyes aren't working. Right. And the Romulan and he says the Romulan, then you'll have to be my eyes. And now, granted, Romulans have not killed Jordy's parents, but it was an interesting juxtaposition to Worf, like refusing to do something that wouldn't actually harm him in any way to save the Romulan that was on the ship. Yeah. You know, and so I thought it was interesting. We had those two juxtapositions between the two characters. And, you know, I as much as like my 2022 human brain wants to say it was wrong of Worf not to give his blood over or whatnot. I don't know. Seems kind of like he made the decision and I kind of liked that they respected his body, his choice, even if they tried to guilt him into it a million times. They also, uh, one thing that I noticed is that when Worf talked to the Romulan, the Romulan said he would rather die than have Klingon blood in his veins. Yes, so, he decided to be super racist when he walked up to him to offer him his, or he said they want something like, they want you to fix me, fix you with my blood or whatever, you and, know. But I mean, him saying that could be read as a, well, he refused the, the treatment anyway, so. I, right, because like, even I, if Worf had agreed, was yeah. the guy going to, yeah, that's a good point. Um, One thing that i noticed this is more just like kind of like a production detail but when they first beam down to the planet the flashlights that they're holding they're they're not like holding flashlights like we have today but they're like these little like boxy things that they're holding up and i remember at the time thinking those 
don't really look practical. Nobody would hold flashlights like that. But then I was thinking about cell phones. And before, like, uh, our, our cell phones all had uh, really bright flash things that we could use as the flashlight when we just turn the screen on and hold that. Yeah, we used to do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> there was also one moment where I noticed um, there's a close up of Riker holding his and you can actually see a wire running down from the uh, flashlight into his sleeve. And I don't think that wire is supposed to be visible, but uh, it seems like, oh, he must have had like a battery pack like uh, attached to his belt or something that it just ran through. But I think it's supposed to just have the battery in the thing because we could do that now. Why Why would you need a wire for that? So I would say that's probably just more of a uh, uh, production goof. That, yeah, they probably uh, didn't want to make a working flashlight that was that shape to make uh-huh. it easier or whatever. But yeah, it probably wasn't supposed to be visible, but I did not notice. The next episode we're going to talk about is The Price. It's the eighth episode of the third season. It first aired on the 13th of November, 1989. It was written by Hannah Louise Shearer and directed by Robert Shearer, but spared, spelled differently. So I don't think they're related. <laughs> Uh, we get a Deanna-focused episode. We do, and at first I was annoyed at this Deanna-focused episode, but by the end I was like, yay, Deanna. Yep. Um, so there's a, uh, a a wormhole that is purportedly the first known stable wormhole, and this species, the Barzans, discovered it, and so they're uh, taking bids for uh, other races to administrate the the opening of it because the bars they don't have the pre- resources. They yeah. don't have the resources to do it themselves, and so a bunch of delegates from different uh, species are coming to negotiate. And there's one guy uh, who's representing some species called the Chrysalians, but he I hate is. Him. Uh, yeah, his his name is Devanani Rall, and he's ostensibly human, but as we find out later, he's a a, a quarter Betazoid, and uh, yeah. he did not disclose that, but he uses his uh, empathic abilities to his advantage. Did you um, recognize the actor? I did not. So he's one of those, that guy, because he has like 120 credits to his name, and he's been in like lots of like one episode of Law and Order and like that kind of stuff. But I really felt like I knew him, knew him. So I searched through his, he's Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld, the one that George Costanza's mom would always be like, why can't you be more like Lloyd Braun? <laughs> you know, I didn't watch enough Seinfeld, so I don't know that reference. I just rewatched it a year ago. I think that's why it was fresh in my head. But yeah, so Blue Eyes there was Lloyd Braun, the one that George Costanza's mom always wanted him to be like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. But yeah, he was terrible. <laughs> he disliked him. <laughs> he was so creepy. He shows up and like Deanna is obviously like immediately like you, you can see she sees something in him. But then like he like shows up. Uh, unannounced to her quarters and just starts touching her <laughs> and I'm just if you watch that scene just her body language you're just like I, I had to pause and like take a 10 minute break because I'm like I just watched an assault it made me feel so creepy like it made me feel gross she was freezing up yeah I know it was, and, but it was like, so they're... gross to watch it was like it reminded me of the time that I had that happen at work with a guy that was my boss oh, he would God. come up and touch my hair and come up and touch my neck and then whisper Ugh. things into my ear I eventually got him fired but he was the highest up person at the company like that I could reach even easily so i had to wait till a district employee came in and he was doing that kind of stuff to me and it reminded me of that so much like he thought he was really suave just like this devanani guy did (laughs) and well and and but that's the problem is that in this episode that's how it's 
played. It's played like he's this suave guy that she's just completely taken with. But like, it wasn't. Like, I don't know if maybe Marina Sirtis just wasn't into the scene or something because she her body language said, stop touching me, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. The scenes between them were hard to watch because it didn't feel like Deanna truly felt any of the things she was saying. And I wonder if that was just Marina Sirtis's like, not being able to get into the role because she just thought knew the guy was a creep or... I don't know. I don't know. Like, the whole thing was creepy, though. I know I sent you a message in the middle of the episode of a picture of my nose that says, I hate this man. (laughs) But I do. I hate him. I I just... And I knew he was using his betazoid empathy, I guess is the word. He was... But his mind tricks to... To... For his gain. Like, I could see that from the very beginning. Even with Deanna, he was using it. Because she's all, like, doing the Sookie Sack House. Oh, I can't read you thing. (laughs) You know? And I was like, oh, my God, Deanna. Like, like, I don't know. And then there was him trying to... um, Toxic masculinity Riker. That was a great scene. That was one of the best scenes. Yeah. As much as this episode made me feel creepy the whole time, like something was crawling all over my whole body. That scene when he laughs and says Deanna is the woman that will like the one woman that could make you set your life on the right course or whatever it is he said. I was like, yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Because uh, after the first season episode, when Riker was a little upset that Deanna was uh, uh, engaged, uh, after that, he's pretty much gotten over his jealousy. Yeah. And so, yeah, like he's coming in and being like, oh, you know, I've got what you could have had. And he's just like, Deanna is her own person. And I'm perfectly happy for her to uh, have whatever relationship she wants. And if she wants you, then that's probably a good thing for you, dude. Right. (laughs) Like she you're not the prize here, dude. She is, you know, like and I thought that was so good to put him in his place, especially because. Riker was the first one of our regular cast members to be like, we need to watch out for that Devanani guy, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you do. He looks, he's so awful. I hate him. But to me, it was pretty obvious from the very beginning, he was using his tele- telepathy or whatever he had. I didn't figure out he was a quarter betazoid, but I probably should because they cut from Deanna close up of her dark black eyes to a close up of his blue eyes. Uh-huh. And I thought, I wondered why are they comparing their eyes? You know, and but I didn't I didn't catch on that he it meant he was really going to be a quarter. Eyes. I know that's why until I figured out his name, I kept calling him Blue Eyes. All my notes say Blue Eyes <laughs> because <laughs> I wasn't sure what his name was at first. Um, but I mean, there was there was one scene where they're like they're post or pre-sex. I can't tell. And he doesn't have a shirt on. And I'm just sitting there the whole time, like, put a shirt on put a shirt on (laughs) like it was just making me uncomfortable i don't know and i'm comfortable with sex like it's not so but but if that setup of that episode or of the of him being a partner to deanna in the episode is him being creepy and touching her hair and her body language saying please don't do this you know and i almost wondered if he had some sort of telepathic control over her I kind of wonder if that was the case, if it was like him putting on the the Betazoid charm or something, or or maybe she was just instinctively drawn to him because he's Betazoid or something like that. Right. Yeah. Which I think is what they were trying to say is, oh, she's drawn to him because he's like her or whatever. Yeah. Funnily enough, the uh, the sexiest scene in the show is not between Devanani and Deanna. It's between uh, Beverly and Deanna. Um, Oh, my God. Yes. Those leotards, like first it's it's just Bev and I was like, oh, I was like, I didn't expect to have feelings in the middle of this episode. I was like, 
I didn't know I had these kind of feelings for Bo. <laughs> and then I was like, what is this leotard? And then suddenly Deanna runs in and they're doing that 80s co aerobics thing that my mom yeah. used to use me as her partner for. I We did that thing where we held arms and like pulled yeah. back and forth like they do because it was very popular in the 80s. And I got to say, those leotards look so impractical because first it's like a, a, a two piece <laughs> thing. You've got the like like the cotton uh uh, Especially Deanne is that cut that had that weird little strap between her boobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the other thing is that like there, you would think for for this kind of exercise you'd want to be wearing a sports bra, but their outfits are both designed with like boob windows. I know, just to make sure that it accentuates the boobs. Yeah, and I'm just like that. That doesn't look like it would be comfortable for the kind of exercise you're doing. Or practical. Yeah, I yeah. know because you want your boobs supported when you're doing exercise because you don't want them to like hurt. You know, that's yeah. the whole point of a sports bra, not to accentuate them and make them look bigger and fuller. You know. <laughs> But yes, it was a pretty sexy scene. I was like, wow, too bad Tasha is in here. <laughs> well, and, and they're talking about sex the whole time, too. So I know. Like, the writers or director or whatever knew what they were doing with that scene. Unfortunately, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but... No, it doesn't, but that's okay. I don't think it was meant to. <laughs> Another one of my favorite moments in this episode was right in the beginning at the cold open. For whatever reason, Deanna's having a bad day. And she goes to her quarters and she's like, Pewter, I would like a real ice cream sundae. And the computer's like, and there she's having a debate with the computer over whether she can do this. And the, she's sitting down to read. And the, the what the computer told her were three communiques from her mother. Like, there's yeah. three communiques from your mother. And I was like, A, yes, of course, Loxana um, emails three times a day. <laughs> and then <laughs> secondly, her mother is telling her that she has three communiques from her mother. And I thought that was <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, so, and then, but like, that, my favorite episode, and this was almost my and I'm Ari joke for today, was God forbid I should miss my first look at the wormhole. Because that was just, I <laughs> I have never seen Deanna be that sarcastic, but it was just so funny. She's and obviously course, having a bad day. And then yes. as soon as she goes into 10 forward and Riker's there and takes her arm, she's like, just, please just tell me there's chocolate here. I know. <laughs> I was like, yes, me too, Deanna. <laughs> and then, of course, she walks into the room where Mr. Blue Eyes is. And that's the whole rest of the episode. Because what in the Danielle Steele novel was going on in some of these scenes? Like, it was so boring to watch. Like, it wasn't even interesting dialogue that was happening. It was literally like that 80s kind of dreamy filter felt like it was going on, you know? And then they were just having not so meaningful conversations about nothing that were taking forever, you know? Kind of feels like they were like searching. I mean, for me, it just it looked like it was just two people who had the hots for each other, but there was nothing much else going on there. And I right. you can kind of see her realizing it as it goes on. She's just like, this guy isn't that trustworthy. That's kind of messed up that he wouldn't tell anyone that he's empathic. And they actually have that conversation where he tries to compare. He's like, well, you don't tell like a Romulan ship that you're sensing what, what they're doing. And she's like, right. He tries to gaslight her into believing that what she does is exactly the same thing that he does. She's like, I'm I'm doing mine to keep my ship safe. You're doing yours for profit. And he even says, he's like, yeah, exactly. What you're doing is life and death. I'm just making, uh, I'm just making business deals. There's, there's nobody gets hurt when I'm doing it. I'm like, dude, you're a capitalist. What do you mean? Nobody gets hurt. Hurt. (laughs) But it all leads to one of Deanna's best scenes, which is the end on the Enterprise deck, or sorry, bridge. 
on the bridge where she gets to take him to task in front of everybody. Like, and that was really good. It was a really good, like, and she had this amazing dress with like, instead of it being V-neck, it like pulled over to one side that I really liked too. She wears that a lot uh, going forward, but I always thought it was just a little weird because it's like an uneven neckline. You get to see one side of the cleavage. Yeah, (laughs) it's more modest because you don't see both sides. (laughs) But yeah, basically, so we we forgot to talk about the B plot, which is that the Frangie show up to this negotiation about the thing and then they just wreak havoc because they're Frangies. Well, they they do like a a soft assassination of the uh, the Federation uh, representative. He's not dead. They're just making him quiet for a couple days. I think that's what they said. That's why it's a soft assassination. They just put him out of commission. And then uh, when... uh, Data and Jordy are going to go like uh, study the wormhole to make sure that you know examining the merchandise, making sure that it is what the Barzans say. The Ferengi protest, they're like, "Oh, you just want to get it for yourself." Was like, "You can come along," and yeah. so they send two probes in, and that's when Data and Jordy realize, "Oh, this wormhole is only stable at one end," because. They thought they were going to the Gamma Quadrant, but then they end up in the Delta Quadrant. They're like, okay, uh, we got to get out of here before that thing closes up. And the- They gave them an out because they said, oh, they couldn't have known their equipment couldn't have. But I wondered if there was some deception on the part of the Barzan. I don't think there was. I, I think they just, I mean, like they said, they don't, they're, the Barzans don't even have manned spacecraft. They just right. were using probes to, to get it, which... Uh, to me is like, okay, why are, why are the Federation even talking to them then? Um, maybe they've got warp drive on those probes, but just no man. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that's true. Cause it would break the prime directive. <laughs> you know, the Ferengi decide, well, we're just going to stay behind and still get our readings. And Jordy and data are like, all right, I guess have fun being 70,000 light years from home. And they right. go back through the wormhole and then the wormhole runs away from the Ferengi. And, uh, that's not the last we see of those Ferengi. I had to look up and see if we'd seen them before, but they were new Ferengi, right? They're new Ferengi, but keep in mind, they are now stranded in the Delta. Delta Quadrant. And what is Voyager about? Oh, that's right. I knew Delta Quadrant sounded familiar. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Good point. Huh. So we, uh, yeah, no, uh, we actually get a follow-up episode in Voyager where they find those two Ferengi. And- oh, interesting. That's so smart on the part of the writers. Yeah. Yep. Um. So this is the first time that I thought the Ferengis were written annoyingly, but uh-huh. in a way that I could stand having them on screen. Like right. they were they were obnoxious and they were annoying and they came on and they demanded chairs for all three of them, even though <laughs> there was, was only one scene. delegate. Yeah, I know. He's like, get us chairs. And Picard's like, no, one of you and you can have my chair, you know, like and then when they and then when they assassinate the well, soft assassinate the the Federation guy, I wrote in my notes. Oh, no, not the negotiator. Whoever will negotiate now, <laughs> you know, like because it's not like we don't have. And then it also felt very Dixon Hill novelly. He says something like, "Oh, this is interesting," and I'm like, "Yeah, oh, this sounds like a Dixon Hill novel, Picard." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I I can't remember why he says Riker has to do it, but he chooses Riker to because be the negotiator. Picard is hosting the negotiations. Oh, so that's it right. Yeah. It'd be a conflict. Yeah. yeah, that bad sex scene where he won't put his shirt on that I was talking about um, reminded me of that bad scene." in episode two between Padme and Anakin, you know? <laughs> Do you know Which what I'm talking about? One? In the bedrooms. There, there are so no, many. Before she tries to get assassinated by the assassin and they're in the bedroom and her hair's all big because it's a dark bedroom. Like, I uh-huh. don't know, for some reason. And I was like, the melodrama is on par with, with Annie and 
Padme, you know, and I was like, but maybe that's what it was, was just the melodrama because it was very melodramatic during their sex scenes. If you can call that pillow talk scenes, not sex scenes, I guess. But They were also doing a lot of that, like, um, TOS era soft focus uh, mm-hmm. to, to make everyone look smoother and prettier. Um specifically in those scenes and then like the music cues honestly those the music cues were doing a lot of heavy lifting because oh yeah <laughs> like i don't think those actors had the best chemistry and, and like when when they first see each other like in 10 forward if you get rid of the music cue they're just staring at each other it's the Intensely. music cue. yeah <laughs> it's the music cue that tells you oh okay they like each other um yeah i just no they didn't they didn't have the chemistry and Honestly, uh, Marina Sirtis did not play it like she wanted to have chemistry with him in the Mm-mm. first place. And I, and that's why I think it might have been on purpose. He also really wanted to be Jimmy Stewart really bad with the way he <laughs> enunciated and spoke his lines and stuff, especially towards the end when they're on the bridge. I was getting serious, like Jimmy Stewart delivery from him. I can see I, where, where you get that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just I didn't like him at all, but I don't know that I was supposed to. I mean, maybe I was no. at the beginning, but I didn't like him from the second they showed him i was like you what's that guy and then he talks like a used car salesman yeah you know? i don't think you're supposed to like him i think he's supposed to be an untrustworthy person um there was one thing that i noticed though because uh, the the end because basically he's just been using his empathic abilities to to sense uh you know what uh, the other delegations are thinking and use that to his advantage and so he negotiates with the ferengi that uh, they'll get uh, indignant and like fire on the wormhole, even though that won't do anything to the wormhole, uh, and and, and uh, insist that uh, if they can't have the wormhole, nobody can. And then he'll be like, "Hey, listen, listen! If the Chrysalians get it, we'll give Ferengi free passage and right. use that to to sell to the Barzans. See, the Chrysalians were peaceful. The Federation and the Ferengi, they're." kind of at conflict with each other you don't really want to have to deal with that now do you right and he had bought out that other alien faction as well and but deanna is sensing like when when he negotiates with the ferengi over the view screen she senses wait neither of them are tense here they're playing an act and the weird thing about that scene is that she was having trouble reading him from like the start but all of a sudden she could yeah i know but not just that she was reading the ferengi and this is the only episode in which she's been able to read a Ferengi. Basically, I think That's it's established right. in the show. I forgot about that. That's right. She can't read them. That's why she was useless in the Ferengi, the first Ferengi <laughs> episode. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I think they just forgot that, that Betazoids couldn't read Ferengi in this episode. But like, it, I'm pretty sure it comes back up later that, yeah, no, they just they can't read Ferengi. So, um, so maybe she was just acting on her intuition because, <laughs> I mean, her intuition at this sure. point of Devani is bad. I mean, she should know at this point that he's bad. And then the yeah. Ferengi obviously almost always have negative intentions, you know, sure. so maybe she may. So maybe she, she couldn't really read this. I'm just trying to help the writers out here. Maybe <laughs> maybe she was just acting on her intuition because it was pretty ob- It was one of those Captain Obvious moments of neither of these are being like because because even the Ferengi just was like because when D- Devani comes out and he comes on the bridge and he's like it's okay I've just sealed the deal to own the wormhole and the we'll, but we'll give you rights the Ferengi immediately goes oh okay and I was <laughs> yeah. like yeah anybody can read that you guys plan this ahead of time because otherwise Ferengi never agreed to anything quickly right yeah so like he would have had to be like well this is what we can give you and then if he had just offered the thing straight out they're master negotiators that's their whole thing they would have bargained for more 
you know? And so it seemed, it to me, it was pretty obvious that he had arranged it with the Ferengi. So I don't know. But I did like her standing up to him. And I did like that even though he was the cute boy that put a spell on her or whatever, when it came to right or wrong, he she was able to go, no, you're a bad person. Stop being bad. You know? Yep. <laughs> so I think that's everything for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. Until next time. Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.